All right, it is 8 a.m. It's bright and early, so first things first, let's make some coffee. Add some creamer. Stir that shit up. Okay, let's get into it. It is Tuesday, November 22nd. I woke up this morning and someone had sent me an article about the quadruple homicides out of Idaho. But before we get into all of that, let's sort out some fact versus fuckery when it comes to this case. And y'all know me, it's early, I haven't had coffee, and the ADHD is in full control. So, as y'all know, I made notes. First things first, we have the video that was streamed to Twitch that features two of the victims, Madison and Kaylee, and they are seen buying food around 1.40 in the morning, the morning of the quadruple homicide. In the video, you can see that Madison and Kaylee are clearly purchasing food from a food truck, and the food truck is located on South Main Street. The video shows the two purchasing $10 worth of food and then waiting around about 10 minutes to get their order. The manager of the food truck said that the two did not appear to be distressed or in any type of danger, and I think that's pretty clear from the footage, which is circulating all over social media and has been featured on the news. Got to get a quick swig of this coffee. Okay, in the footage that was shared all over social media and on the news, people were very interested in a man that was seen behind Maddie and Kaylee in the video. To be fair, the man in the Twitch stream behind Kaylee and Maddie does appear to be aware or become aware that there is a camera on him and he puts on a ball cap and then puts the hoodie over his head and it looks like he's trying to dodge the camera but you know what I wouldn't want to be featured on a twitch live stream so that might be some behavior that I displayed as well it's neither here nor there but it did make him seem a little sus well, that man has been identified and we will not be saying his name because police say that he is cooperating and they do not believe him to be a person of interest. So we're not going to be those assholes that say his name and then drag him into a shit pile of fuckery that he may not have and appears to not have anything to do with. He is a fellow University of Idaho student, and he is also a neighbor of the girls, but considering that there are hundreds of students that live right within that area, that's not saying too, too much. Let's turn the page. Next on my notes of things to address this morning is the calls to Jack. It was revealed on Saturday, November 19th, that there were several phone calls made to a Jack the morning of the quadruple homicide. Kaylee starts calling Jack at 2.26 a.m. and calls six times between 2.26 and 2.44 a.m. Madison then calls Jack three times from 2.44 a.m. to 2.52 a.m. And then Kaylee makes her final call to Jack at 2.52 a.m. and he never answered any of the phone calls. Jack is the ex-boyfriend and kind of boyfriend of Kaylee. They were basically boyfriend and girlfriend. They had dated for years and they were on a break, but apparently, according to family, they were about to get back together. So we'll just call him her boyfriend. 
Kaylee's mother said that they are wasting their time with Jack, and Jack is 1,000, 2,000% our family, and Jack is just as distraught as we are. Jack is our family. Jack is with us, and we stand behind him 100%. We are supporting him, and we know in our hearts and minds and our souls and the depths of our soul, Jack is hurting. She said that Kaylee and Jack would have eventually been married, they would have eventually been married, and they would have eventually had children. They had dated for years and were currently on a break. The takeaway from point two is that Jack had not jack fucking shit to do with the quadruple homicide. Next up is the 911 call. The 911 call has been a huge topic of conversation, and first things first, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Anyone who thinks that the surviving roommates had anything to do with this can fuck right off. The two surviving roommates are secondary victims and should be treated as such. All of the ridiculous speculation online about the two surviving roommates is only further victimizing the two people that are already traumatized and already victims in all of this. But I digress. Let's get to the deets on the 911 call. Everyone is so caught up and hung on the fact that the two surviving roommates didn't hear anything. Well, that makes sense to me. That doesn't bother me at all. First off, they're college students, and they were out partying and drinking that night. They were asleep. Second off, college students, they sleep in and they sleep hard. Third, it is believed that the four victims were attacked while in their bed asleep, which means that the struggle was probably not as loud as some of y'all are thinking because some of them probably never saw it coming, and that is based off the fact that police think that they were attacked while asleep in bed and not all of them had defensive wounds. Also, the house is three stories. It was a big house. It was three stories. The surviving roommates were on the first floor. The homicides occurred on the second and third floor. I cannot understand, nor can I fathom, what people don't understand about the fact that they slept through this and why that bothers people so bad. It makes sense, given the context of these particular circumstances. Okay, so the morning of November 13th, the surviving roommates summoned friends to the house because they believed that one of the victims on the second floor had passed out and was not waking up. The official 911 call was placed at 11.58 a.m. requesting an ambulance for an unconscious person, and we know that the call originated from inside of the home and was placed on one of the surviving roommates' cell phones. When officers arrived on the scene, that's when officers discovered that there were four victims in a quadruple homicide. Police have made it very clear that they do not believe anyone that was there during the 911 call had anything to do with the quadruple homicide. Another thing that people are so caught up on is the fact that the 911 call was for an unconscious person. Now, I wasn't there. And I haven't seen the crime scene photos, so I don't know shit about fuck. But here's what I do know. I know that I have seen cases where officers said that it was a bloodbath. For example, season two of The Sojo Files, the sister podcast to the situation that you are currently listening to, is covering a case out of Van Buren, Arkansas. It's the Shreve case. Some of you might be listening to that. And officers said, and the news reported, that it was a bloodbath. But having seen the crime scene photos, I can tell you that it absolutely was not. There was minimal blood at the crime scene. 
Now here we know that the four victims died from being stabbed to death. So clearly there was blood at this crime scene. However, we do not know the circumstances. We do not know how they found this roommate. And clearly, clearly, they believed that it was just an unconscious person. When you call 911, you're scared. There's a lot going on. Half your brain is processing what's going on, and the other half is saying, this can't be happening. So the caller did say, according to police, that they had an unconscious person and that the roommates believed that this roommate possibly had passed out and they were concerned about them. But you know what? That's how they processed it. That's what they thought. And we do not know the circumstances or what it visually looked like in the room where they found this particular victim. And so... We don't know, and that's okay, but what we can presume is that the surviving roommates, if they had walked into a bloodbath, would have called 911. They would not have called friends first to come over and help assist in assessing the situation if they had walked into a bloodbath. I think that we can presume that and give them the benefit of the doubt on that one. The next thing to address on this handy note that I've made right here is the press conference that occurred Sunday, November 20th. The big takeaway, in my opinion, from the press conference is that they have no suspect. What about the press conference solidified that for me? Great question. I would love to tell you here's the answer. They mentioned that not only the FBI was assisting in this case, which we have known since Wednesday of last week, but also that they had two members of the BAU, the Behavioral Analysis Unit from the FBI, they're also helping to assist in this case. That tells me that the BAU is there to help develop a profile of the killer and to assist police in developing a suspect in this case. Now let's talk about the article that was sent to me bright and early this morning. It's an article that was published by the Daily Mail and <laughs> here's the title. Incompetent Idaho cops likely obliterated crucial evidence and have botched investigation in students' murder, says source connected to the investigation as cops expand search area near the crime scene. To hit the key points of this article, a source close to the investigation described the efforts by Moscow police as botched and said that the department likely obliterated mountains of evidence at the scene by waiting so long to properly investigate. They mentioned that police were seen yesterday, November 21st, measuring tracks in the driveway of the home where the students were murdered and how that was a full six days after the bodies were discovered. They then mentioned that during the press conference, cops repeatedly could not answer basic questions about the crime. They say that this source says that cops likely destroyed evidence due to their negligence or allowed it to be compromised with their sluggish response. They mentioned that the time lapse between when the bodies were found and the forensic team returned to the crime scene allowed crucial evidence to be corrupted by weather or other activity. Basically, the whole thing is just a slam fest on the investigation of this case. So here's my two cents on this. Lord, have mercy. If you follow me on social media or you listen to the sister podcast to this one, The Sojo Files, then you know I have absolutely no problem calling out the fuckery. But as it stands right now, I think the fuckery is this article and not the investigation. 
For starters, it says that it was a blundering press conference in which he repeatedly could not answer basic questions about the crime. That's fucking bullshit. They're stressed, and I understand, and they're frustrated because they do not have answers. But it's not that the police chief, James Fry, could not answer basic questions. It's that he did not answer certain questions that they wanted the answers to because he did not want to hinder their investigation. And I get that that's frustrating, and I get that people want answers, but come on. It's not that he couldn't answer basic questions. It's that he didn't because he didn't want to jeopardize the integrity of their investigation. They also dogged the absolute shit out of them, saying that they obliterated mountains of evidence and did not properly investigate this homicide quick enough. Yeah, come on, y'all. There's picture proof that's been blasted all over the fucking news and social media of officers fingerprint dusting the windows. There's a clip of an officer standing outside the door taking a crime scene log, as they fucking should, and you see them doing what appears to be all of the proper steps in investigating this. They also have the FBI involved. We don't know what they did as far as investigating the inside of that home and the crime scene because the photographers and the paparazzi couldn't get in there. However, there is an abundance of photos of them investigating the exterior of the house and them searching the wooded area near the house. At this point in time, there is nothing to substantiate that they have in any way, shape, or form botched this investigation. And until we have proof to substantiate that that's true, you're not going to hear me say that. I have no problem blasting investigations and issues with investigations clearly, but I'm not going to do that when we don't have anything to substantiate that that is a fact and not just fuckery. I think this article was written by somebody who is rightfully so frustrated, but come on. Come on. If you want to blast them on something, the one thing that I will say was kind of a fuck up, was it actually just a fuck up, in my personal opinion, was them announcing on Monday and Tuesday that this was an isolated and targeted attack and that the general public had nothing to be worried about. I don't agree with that. I think from a criminology standpoint that that really doesn't make a bunch of sense, which is why they backtracked on that statement come Wednesday. (laughs) One statement in this article is that the time that elapsed between when the bodies were found and forensic team returned, keyword returned, as in a second time, to the crime scene allowed crucial evidence to be corrupted by weather or other activity. Weather is always an issue with any type of evidence that is outside. That's just a fact of life. But again, there's tons of pictures that show them thoroughly investigating the outside. And until we have something to substantiate that officers actually, quote unquote, obliterated mountains of evidence and improperly investigated this quadruple homicide, I'm not going to troll their investigation tactics because we don't know. We only saw what they did on the exterior of the property, and from what we've seen, it appears that they are thoroughly investigating the exterior of the home. And so, again, if they botched it, if they made mistakes, I have no problem calling that shit out. But as it stands right now, I don't think there's anything to substantiate that. I think that clearly the source that gave the information for this article, is frustrated with a lack of answers and not having an arrest over a week after the quadruple homicide. And those feelings of frustration are valid. But that doesn't mean that they made a valid claim in stating that the police and the FBI obliterated mountains of evidence. 
And yeah, that's my take on that. My first cup of coffee is long gone, which means it's time to start brewing the second cup. So we are going to put this episode to an end and I will see you guys on the next episode.